The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. Podcaster Steven. The time has come. Execute episode 66 of the Dark Times podcast. It will be done, my lord. Hello and welcome to... Holy shit, Steven. Episode 66 of the Dark Times podcast. We made it. We made it. Sam, I got cupcakes. I've got a big banner behind me. You can see there's 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 glitter shooting out of the, the cannons. I'm Sam, your favorite Jedi trader. And I'm Steven, your favorite loyal clone commander to the end. A good soldier follows orders, Steven. Damn right, baby. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> oh, you got some cupcakes? Oh, I see. Yeah, the Jawas yeah. and Ewok-shaped cupcakes? Yeah, oh, and it, like, they spelled out in fry. It's one of those like cupcakes where like they, they laid them all out and like did frosting on like on top, so it's like... They've got like Orabesh, like curse words written on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it says, happy 66th shit fucks. Um, happy 66 <laughs> Uh, that's great. What what does Anakin call uh he calls the Bulba in episode one? I think he ha- keeps a classic and calls him a ha- Slimo. Yeah, happy 66 Slimo. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Steven, we have some feedback from last week. We do. We or got from a, a couple weeks ago, rather. We got a great email from our faithful listeners, Lloyd Krolik. Hey Sam and Steven, you do need more gonk droids. I think we were talking about gonk droids. I was reinventing the gonk droid. That's I was like right. a power you were talking, generator. Yeah. On a repulsor lift, that's and right. you were like, no, just get a gunk droid. That's right, that's right. What's the gather info DC for Green Doug? You'll need those black market modifiers when you sell that stash of rifles. Gather info DC for Green Doug is, let's see, that's going to be a, a quite the difficult piece of information to acquire. Let me take a look at the table here. The Green Doug like, services table that he has on yeah, his website. <laughs> well, it says here that learning a piece of secret information, which... Green Doug's whereabouts, operations, general, you know. Uh, His known aliases. Yeah, that, that's that's secret information. That's a DC 25 check and 5,000 credits in bribes. Oh, yeah. D- Green Doug does not mess around when no. it comes to the bribes. No, not at all. Did you make your knowledge bureaucracy roll to get your podcast license? Actually, I made a deception roll to get my podcast yeah. license. Yeah, we 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 hand waved our way through that one, and and let me tell you, they let anyone make a fucking podcast. You don't need to see my podcast identification. <laughs> exactly. <Too long. laughs> Keep up the great work, Sloy Krolik. Thanks, Sloy. We always love hearing from you and everyone else. We're back, Stephen. We've returned to the Clone Wars. We've returned to the Clone Wars. Um, Though from the timing of this episode, it seems like the wars are about to come to a swift end. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's sort of appropriate because it, it, I was uh, researching our, our topic for the pod today and I, I came across, you know, a, a, a named character of this particular species. And I, I think talking about the species and talking about him a little bit will um, we'll, we'll, we'll lean into our episode's number quite well. We're going to talk. Oh, we're talking about the Clone Wars, right? The, the yeah, last it's week Clone Wars Part 2. Clone Wars Part 2. Maybe we'll do Part 3. Who knows? There's a lot of Clone Wars. To There's a lot of clone in these wars. There's a lot of wars in these clones. Yeah. This week, Sam, I wanted to... <laughs> come on. What did you want me to say to that? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> this week, Sam, I want to talk about Skakoans. Sam, 
Do you know about? Do you know? Do you know Skakoans? What? What? Do you? Does anything conjure to, to mind when I when I say Skakoan? Uh, Stephen, I I did a two year tenure in the Techno Union. Did you forget? <laughs> Ooh, very brave of you to share that with us, <laughs> given the current political climate. But whoa, cool. whoa, whoa! Um, uh, you know, I just it's not my fault. The Republic didn't recognize my for college credit. You know the. Wow. My internship um, with Watt Tambor. I, I, so fucking funny. They called they called us like coffee jocks, though. It wasn't really, you know, we didn't do a lot of interning. I didn't really know you had such strong techno union leaning views, Sam. I didn't I didn't really know. I knew you had that internship. But I didn't know it was like I didn't know you like assimilated. Oh, it affected me. View. It affected me deeply. I, I see. Well, so you, you know plenty about Scott Cohen's then. They are a didn't learn a thing. For those unaware, Skakoans are probably one of the more um, striking uh, creations in Star Wars that we ever see. I was absolutely obsessed with the only uh, Skakoan to get any screen time, Watt Tambor, uh, from his appearance in Attack of the Clones. The fact that he had to like live modulate his voice with the dials on his chest piece as a child and even as a full-grown adult I just love that shit. I think it's so cool and so funny and just so classic George, like pulp sci-fi, like Buck Rogers type shit. It's it's amazing. And as we go through, you know, their lore and their their whole deal, I think those of you who are, are familiar with old sci-fi and sci-fi's like 20th century roots will will see that these are classic, like it came from planet Xenon guys. And and I think that's <laughs> one of the most compelling things about them. And I think you can introduce some really great kind of pulpy sci-fi style stuff through your campaign uh, with Skakoans. They kind of look like, forgive me if I'm wrong. They look like boogers dressed in BDSM attire. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was trying to think of a, of some sort of counter quip to, to further elucidate or elaborate on that, but no, they are kind of big boogers in like Hellraiser like style <laughs> like get up. Yeah, like like boogers Cenobites. I yeah, love it. They are they're <laughs> Cenobites uh like mashed with the Mucinex mascots. <laughs> That's great. But there's actually a lot going on under the hood, so to speak. So uh stay stay tuned. I don't speak soda. <laughs> So Skakones were not introduced in any, like, physically published Swissy media. They're actually from a web supplement. It was actually penned as a web supplement for Swissy by one Eric Kegel. Uh, he also did these, he did these as part of a series where he covered, like, he went really in-depth on a species and their home world. So I, I thought that was really cool, and I thought we'd feature one of those here. He wrote the Cathar, though I think these were later overwritten by the, the Coder campaign guide, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the Arcona from Kona, the Findians from Findar, and of course the Skakoans from Skako. Skako Minor. Skako Minor, yes, of course. Boy, that that might be the the new canon. I don't know if they were from Skako originally. It says Skako in this supplement, so I'm going to go with Skako. Skako Minor might be a might be a different thing. You know what? I think Skako Minor is where they kept Echo. <laughs> oh, that would make sense. That does sound familiar. Watt Tambor is there, too. We were just talking about that scene, me and my housemates. Good scene. Good scene. What a good, God, season seven God, of Clone Wars, I huh? I love season seven so much. Uh, reading from the Planet Hopper supplement, the Coens are a technologically advanced species that specializes in microelectronics, starship engineering, and cutting-edge manufacturing techniques. 
During the time of the Republic, scacones are among the most influential species in the Techno Union, a galaxy-spanning consortium of mega corporations with representation in the Galactic Senate. Don't forget, the Galactic Senate represented, you know, has, has representatives from planets all over the galaxy, and also the major corporations in the galaxy as well. That's so wild, right? Right, like- and and it kind of it makes sense in a in a world with like because obviously in in our world that would be a nightmare. I, I suppose it makes sense in a galaxy where you have corporations that are truly on the scale of like interstellar nations of like they own planets and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying we should <laughs> introduce well, corporate like, representation you know what? in the you real know what, world. Steven? Technically, if you think about it, we already have it. It's just less upfront. Yeah, yeah, we, you're, you're right. I, I guess maybe I, I know George. George's political views are, are very obvious, especially in the, in the senatorial dealings in the prequels. So do you think he's saying something here? Fascism's good. <laughs> That's my takeaway from the prequels. Fascism, <laughs> A-OK. Despite the misgivings of other high-ranking members of the Techno Union, Skakoan foreman Watt Tambor pledged to support the Separatists under Count Dooku. The Senate responded by expelling their Techno Union representatives. This contributed to the Skakoan homeworld breaking away from the Republic and joining the Separatist movement. Visitors are generally not welcome on the Skakoan homeworld. Consequently, non-Skakoans have yet to learn what a Skakoan looks like beneath the full-body Skakoan pressure suit. Without the Skakoan pressure suit, a Skakoan resembles a gaunt human with folds of sickly gray-white skin draped over a narrow skeletal frame. A Skakoan's leering visage features dark, sunken eyes, a flat nose, and a toothless, slit-like mouth in a perpetual frown. These guys look like if stick figures were rendered in Unreal Engine 4. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Skakoan pressure suits come equipped with synthesized vocalizers that deliberately distort their wearer's speech patterns, adding to the species' mystique. Skakoan adults stand between 1.4 and 2.1 meters tall. Any Skakoan short kings out there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all the Skakoans listening right now that are 1.3 meters are are absolutely trembling in their pressure suits. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the pressure suit adds three inches, Steven. Located in the core region, Skako is a planet-wide metropolis comparable to Coruscant in scale and population, but without the charm or aesthetically pleasing architecture. Species accustomed to standard atmospheric pressure can only withstand the dense pressure of Skako's atmosphere for a short time before suffering permanent injury. The same holds true for Skakoans who find themselves on standard pressure worlds without a pressure suit to protect them. Skaka verbal is a complex machine language similar to bocce with traces of binary. Skaka form, the written language of the Skakoan people, is often mistaken for technical schematics or circuit diagrams. This, this right here is so cool. This is my favorite piece of lore about them, <laughs> that they have a language influenced by bocce and binary, like a universal that's, trade language. That's what they and are, man. Literally droids. And then... Skakaform is mistaken for technical schematics. It's so cool. I love it. You want to hear some examples, Skakoan names, Sam? Yeah, let's hear it. Zona Dreon. So true. Pell Carmack. Gert Marco. <laughs> Orna Mang. Imagine, imagine fucking feeding a kid for nine months just to name him Gert. <laughs> Vol Maybor, Medeka Rex, who could forget Watt Tambor, Gagan Vault, and Terran Vaughn. 
There you go. So those all kind of had the short, long, like one syllable, two syllable thing going on, except Tara and Vaughn at the end there has two and one. So, it, you know. He's got Cohen on his mom's side. That's why. <laughs> so Cohen's are deathly afraid of suffering a horrible death by asphyxiation or explosive decompression. Hey, me too. What? <laughs> That's just on the page? Like, yeah, that's what it says. That's what it says. They don't write that for any other species in the book. <laughs> Humans are afraid of spontaneous combustion. Wookiees are afraid of dying from starvation. They don't mention that shit. What if they said that on any other page in the book, huh? There's context. There's context, I promise. <laughs> they rarely leave Skako for this reason. And when they do, they always wear pressure suits that fully conceal their features and use vocalizers that distort their voices. Skakoans encountered away from their homeworld are usually nobles. No Skakoan force users are known to exist. God, can you imagine being the first Skakoan to leave the homeworld? <laughs> ah! oh, oh, oh god, he exploded! <laughs> Uh, shall we go? So that's enough fucking fluff, right? Who fucking cares? About Get down to brass packs, <laughs> Steven. Let's hear his ability modifiers. Let's see the Skakoans ability modifiers. <laughs> Let's see what Tambor's ability modifiers. All Skakoans receive a plus two bonus to their intelligence, but suffer a minus two penalty to their, to their dexterity. Skakoans lack agility, but have a rigidly logical, almost computer-like mind. They're medium, and they have a speed of six squares. They get a bonus feat. They get a armor proficiency light at level one as a bonus. That's feat. really cool. Yeah, right. You'll you'll see why in just a sec. They one of my favorite species traits. Uh, they have it conditional bonus feat. If they're trained in mechanics, they get skill focused mechanics for free. There's, they also have mechanical savant, which is another classic. Once per encounter, a skakone can make a standard action mechanics or use computer check as a swift action. They also have special equipment needs. Skakoans suffer limitations outside their native atmosphere. Without a pressure suit, a Skakoan takes 1d6 of damage each round and begins to suffocate. Skakoan characters begin play with a light pressure suit at no cost. All Skakoans can speak Skakoverbal, read and write Skakoform, and can speak, read, and write basic. Nice. Yeah, right? So we don't have a Skakoan build today, Sam, but I wanted to discuss, you know, certain directions that you could take this in. Obviously, the, the, the writing's on the wall. There are techies. Yeah. Like that, that much is clear. You're going to technical college no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> um, I picked out a couple talents that I think could, could help guide a prospective player towards uh, a, a nice Skakoan build, though. It shouldn't be hard to find a good template out there for a good tech or outlaw tech to, to keep you happy. Tactical Noble, too, is another great direction for this. There's Tactical Savvy from the Galaxy at War book. Prerequisite being Born Leader, of course. When an ally whom you can see spends a force point to enhance an attack roll, the ally gains a bonus to the force point equal to your int modifier. It's like having vets. One of my favorite support talents. There's also Engineer. We often think of, like, the Scoundrel as the hacky techie, or maybe even in, in certain situations, the Scout. But... Little do you know, Sam, little do you know, you can build nobles in that direction as well. There's the engineer talent from the Starships of the Galaxies book, prerequisites being the educated talent and trained in knowledge technology. You become trained in the mechanic skill. Additionally, when installing new systems into a vehicle, 
the efficiency of your designs reduces the time it takes to install the system by 25%. Oh, but Steven, huh. why do I care? Why does my GM give a shit if it's 25% faster for me to put in a new hyperdrive? What the fuck? If it doesn't have anything to do with combat, I don't fucking want it. <laughs> time is money, my dear friend. And maybe in a starship focused campaign, the extra couple weeks to few days you'd save by installing the system could mean the difference between a big payout. What I'm really getting at here is GMs ought to push those time limits. Yes. Meaning you got to make a reason for time to come down like a hammer on the party. What do you mean? Oh, oh, it's going to take two weeks to install this this new hyperdrive and nothing's going to happen during those two weeks. Maybe every week the party does fucking nothing. The Inquisitor gets closer to finding the party for sensitive. Exactly. And if they're just sitting there installing a hyperdrive, they're sitting ducks, especially if they're being hunted by, you said, Inquisitor, the huts, a bounty hunter, the Black Sun, the Empire. Do I need to keep going? It's Star Wars. You're being hunted by someone, whether you know it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Or even better, have a boon that the party really wants. Maybe a senator or other leader they've been vying to meet or capture. They have a perfect window to meet or capture this figurehead, but it conflicts with their scheduled maintenance. I love that. That's a great uh, just a little like you're when you're. What's I'm looking for? Like, not like the f- actual leg of the campaign, but a little side. It's a, a side project. It's a yeah. little side conflict. And that's when things like, you know, maybe your Skakone with the engineer talent would really shine. He's like, oh, shit. You know, it's because of my talent that we're going to make this on time. Or, you know, maybe maybe not. Maybe you can split the party, separate the Skakone engineer out and you need to get them back so they can complete their repairs on time. You get out of Dodge, you know. I just love these sort of talents. Right. And it sucks they don't get, you know, they're not since they don't commit to a CT killer build, they don't get <laughs> as much love or support as the other talents. Listen, I love I I love taking people down the condition track as much as the next guy, but these are some talents where these contribute to the story. Keep in mind too, engineer makes you trained in mechanics and it's not a level 1 talent, it's more of a level 3 talent. But Say you're starting at that level. You don't have to train in mechanics if you pick up engineer and it still makes you eligible for the conditional bonus feat. That's cool. So pick this up as a and get your get your talent, get your mechanics training and your mechanics focus all in one swoop. So, Sam, I want to talk about, like, what do you think are a couple different prompts for for a Skakoan player character? Because I, I mean, reading this lovely, detailed, long lore for for all the possibilities to play a Skakoan player character, but the author does such a great job of painting these species as a as a picture of a fragile yet rigidly minded. <laughs> like, oh yeah, here's the player character stats for this uh, for, for these guys. By the way, they never leave their home world. <laughs> but then I started thinking, what sort of Skakoans would? Well, Stephen, if you are a craftsman or a mechanic of any sorts and you are creating your own weaponry, your own starship uh, systems or anything like that. How better to get experience in the field than field experience? (sighs) I love a good chiasmus. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, any any engineer worth his salt, any starship designer with a 
even open mind or even general understanding of, of inspiration. Do you think this guy is going to send his baby off with some ragtag group of fuck nuts? <laughs> ragtag group of chuckle fucks without his supervision? They're going to this. The fucking ion skimmer on the hyperdrive is very particular, Stephen. Ah, I see what you're teasing out here. This is one character archetype you've cooked up. The obsessive starship engineer. The party acquires a ship, but they also acquire a completely <laughs> neurotic technician who refuses to let it go. That's his baby, man. I dig it. I have to get this home by Friday or my dad's going to kill me. I dig it a lot. <laughs> and, you know, that's the cool thing about Skakoans is that Wat Tambor, the only Skakoan named on screen, I, I think. Please prove me wrong. He has two other friends in the Clone Wars season seven, but I don't think they're named. Oh, OK. All right. Um, but they're purple. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> <laughs> he sought an education off of his home world. He actually became a, a famous and prominent starship engineer and rocketed to the height of the techno union because of that external experience he got. Perhaps so, uh, Skakone wishing to follow in his footsteps could venture outside oh. of Skakone. I have to follow the educational path of Wat Tambor in order to be the next Wat Tambor. Exactly. I like that. Or maybe one of Wat Tambor's more direct followers. Maybe this was a lab intern of Wat Tambor. Maybe a, a, a fellow investigator, a, a perhaps a. Ooh, it did allude to that. Not the whole techno union wasn't exactly behind the whole Confederacy thing. It did mention that that some people protest against that. Maybe a contemporary of Wat Tambor who dropped all connections with him when he just and wanted to be loyal to the Republic. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I like the idea of the grandson or grandchild of like a droid artist. Yes. Not a designer, an artist. And your your family's legacy life work gets stolen. From Skekoa. That's your motivation right there. Oh, and you got to go to get it back. You have to go find it. You got to find the different pieces of your of, of your Da Vinci's oh, special little toy. That's such a perfect slow ball backstory for a player character. So good. Like so oh, good. this, these pirates or whatever, bounty hunters, whoever heisted my family's special droid design art engineering thing. I'm on a quest despite the dangers to my body and my mind get it back they think it's some expensive rare droid but it's the honestly it's the only thing that can crack nuts around here that's, <laughs> the damn. that's so good sam i thought you were gonna say like a special family heirloom or <laughs> no do you like the idea it's like my my grandpa's best can opener yeah. ever got stolen because <laughs> it was so fancy they thought it was rare and expensive absolute a tier player backstory feel nothing, free to nothing pits mailurans like that thing man it was the only multi-tool my family owned. <laughs> Feel free to share. I like the idea of him talking up this like super intricate tool. And it's one of those fucking avocado pitters. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that kind of reminds me of, a, of another like archetype for a player character, Skakoan, that, that crossed my mind. The reject. Oh, the jock. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking more of like artistically minded, like a creative, oh, uh, empathetic, like, too. like softer Skakoan, maybe a poet or, or something like that. 
But yeah, that too. A Jobstick <laughs> is way funnier. No, no, no. Halfway through his fucking poetry, he goes like, <laughs> exactly. It's an art form. It's like an alien emergent Skokoan art form that no one on his homeworld appreciates because they're too stuffy. That's so funny. So yeah, I think those are all good reasons to to be a Skokoan, leave your homeworld, revenge, um, rejection. Get kidnapped. Yeah. Oh, kidnap. Oh, kidnapping's always good. Yeah. Forcibly taken from your home yeah. world is like pretty good one. <laughs> Though that one's going to be hard for Skakoans because barely anyone goes there and hardly anyone wants wants to go there. They want the Skakoan mind is what oh, they want. Of course, the Black Sun kidnaps I, a Skakoan to design a ship. I thought you were the greatest engineer on your, on your planet and I've taken you to build my pirate king ship for me. They mistake him. For another famous Kakoan, because they, they, they the suit, yeah, it's just the suit. That's great. They're trying to get Wat Tambor, but they kidnap like his fucking cousin, or like his third cousin. <laughs> fucking Dig Tambor. Yeah, Dig Tambor, who just worked at Kakoan Radio Shack. <laughs> I love that. That's great. That's so good. I also want to take a little time to discuss uh, one of my favorite pieces of of Legends media. Or I mean, it's it's just a cool comic. We don't need to don't need to name names here. Wat Tambor and the Quest for the Sacred Eye of the Albino Cyclops. What a title! What a title! <laughs> is a thirteen page comic that was featured in Star Wars Visionaries, written and drawn by Michael Murnane. Sam, do you know about Star Wars Visionaries? I'm not familiar. So you you'll love this. I actually thumbed through this a few years ago. I've actually been wanting to revisit it lately. It's been on my mind. Uh, recently, which I think is why I wanted to do Skakoans this episode. I'm having like a <laughs> triple reverse, like <laughs> psychology moment. Um, Star Wars Visionaries was a graphic novel published back in the Dark Horse days. It's 11 stories that were written and drawn by concept artists for Revenge of the Sith. They just let all the concept artists for Revenge of the Sith go hog wild with self-written, self-drawn comics. And they were That's collected great. in this issue. That's so fucking great because I love the concept art for Red to the Sith is really good. Really good. Prequels have some very good and may I say undersung celebrations of Star Wars art in their in their concept art. Just all around amazing. Did you ever hear that group of artists in particular was a little um, I think I'll use the word eccentric. <laughs> no, I'm not familiar. They uh, uh, parentheses in famously uh, like worshipped that. A horse that was in on Rogue Squadron, Horhas Equesh. Oh yes, I've I've heard of this. <laughs> they were really really into him. Real big fans. You can find a lot of documentation online of just how into him they were, and I, I encourage those of you to to uh, reach out or look out for that. Um. Yeah, this is a warning, not a. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't reach out about it. Look out for it. Uh, I'd also like to point your attention to what we'll talk about Wat Tambor and the quest for the sacred eye of the albino cyclops in a second. But uh, the fourth precepts also worth mentioning because it's just gorgeous, wordless, no dialogue, just full page art, just very abstract conceptual art representing the force, light, dark, good and evil. No dialogue. Beautiful stuff. If you know, if you know me, if you know Zena Sloth, you know that I, I just really have a huge appreciation for kind of abstract, heady art. And Fourth Precept was was very influential in how I thought about the Force and just art in general. So, so check that out. But forget that shit. We're talking about Watt Tambor and the quest for the Sacred Eye of the Albino Cyclops. 
kind of in the same vein as the rest of these comics in Star Wars Visionaries. It's it's very um, psychedelic, definitely like transcendental. Uh, Wat Tanwar has to go back to his home world after losing an eye. He goes through it literally just a religious experience. He has to retrieve a sacred <laughs> artifact and his fate is revealed to him. And then he is told to go to Mustafar at the very end uh, where he will be killed. And he is. <laughs> what? Why? Like, <laughs> that's great. That's incredible. It's a really beautiful comic. It provides a very strange level of depth to a character. I did not think needed it or could have it. But yeah, it's it's got some really interesting, like uh, kind of classic sci-fi trappings too. He he says shit like my brain lattice is configured for the quickening, like <laughs> <laughs> those classic Watt Tambor lines. Yeah, right. How did I forget. <laughs> very interesting piece from a very interesting time in, in Star Wars's history. I think it, it, it's things were kind of off the rails. I think conceptually for. This era and particularly this this comic. So go ahead and take a look at that if you haven't before. Very good stuff in there. Uh, I think it's time. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, Sam, I almost forgot. We're, we were going to go over wrist rocket ammunition. Yeah. You were just going to leave us hanging? Yeah, I was like, well, that's all I got to say about Watt Tambor. <laughs> <laughs> Watch those wrist rockets, Steven. Part two. In case you missed them the first time. Yeah. They're coming at you again. They're coming back around for a second run. <laughs> the wrist rockets. You worry about those wrists. I'll watch those rockets. <laughs> those of you who remember last week, which uh, I, I do not count myself been among a haze. you. Huh? I said it's been a haze. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we were delighted to find last week that wrist rockets have like five, six different types of ammunition. Uh, and we wanted to feature those on the show just because we think they're so cool. Sam, all of these are burst weapons. Ding, 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 ding. I thought it was a great time to remind ourselves and everyone else what exactly a burst weapon is. Reading from the core rulebook, grenades and explosives usually have a burst radius. When you make an area attack with such a weapon, you must decide where to center the burst before you make the attack roll. The center of a burst is always the corner of a square at the crosshair. Sam, we're an audio medium, but can you visualize the corner of four squares? I am seeing the point at which four squares meet. Great. And you understand the concept of a radius. Radius. Half the diameter of a circle. Bingo. Anyone who's, who's passed through middle school geometry should know that. So a one square burst looks just like a two by two square. And that's going to get bigger, much bigger because of circle reasons. When you go from a one square to a two square to a three square. I'm not going to spend any further time on this because it's an audio medium. I'm not going to we can't do geometry here. And there's a really, really great diagram on the wiki. Just look at the area tax page. It's right there. It makes it makes it damn clear. But no, Stephen, I, I got it. Here, here's how you can visualize the area of a burst radius. OK, let's say it's a two square radius, right? Yeah. Pi R squared, baby. <laughs> pi times four. That means you have an area of four pi. Perfect, Sam. I'll use that at the table next time we play. We'll see how that works out. I hope you guys can visualize that just fine. Introduce some trigonometry at the table. Alienate your players. <laughs> well, first up, Sam, we got the anti-personnel rocket. As you might expect, this one deals with personnel. This style of rocket functions like a frag grenade, but it does not affect multiple squares. Except it's a, it's a burst radius of, of one square, so it, it does affect multiple squares. Thank you, Swissy. 
<laughs> what do you what did they mean by that what does frag grenade say well frag does, grenade is like a two does mr grenade verse. have anything to say about this yeah yeah let's uh, how's mr grenade doing against the frag allegations <laughs> no it just it's just written weird for no reason a frag grenade is a two square burst radius so i i don't know if this means well i did not even consider this before we started recording. Wow. Uh, so normally a burst radius of one square means, you know, a two by two area. This says it does not affect multiple squares though, but just stick with, stick with burst radius one square. Just ignore, ignore the flavor text as always. It functions like a frag grenade, except it doesn't, except it does. <laughs> Thanks. We'll see. It costs 400 credits, deals 3d8 damage, weighs a quarter of a kilogram. It's slashing damage because that shrapnel baby, this is a military weapon and an area attack weapon. Uh, whether or not it affects one square or a one square burst radius, that's up to you. Anti-vehicle rocket delivers a powerful kick sufficient for disabling or significantly damaging a vehicle. An anti-vehicle rocket has a burst radius of two squares. It costs 500 credits Deals 3d10 damage. It's also a quarter of a kilogram slashing damage. Also a military weapon and an area attack weapon. You know what, Steven? Huh? I'd argue an anti-vehicle rocket is also an anti-personnel rocket. But that's my personal opinion. <laughs> you know, I was looking at that. I, like, com- compare these two. Anti-personnel on one hand. 400 credits. 3d8 damage. One burst square radius. Anti-vehicle rocket. Only 100 credits more, 3D10 damage, and a burst radius of two squares. Now, that's not double the area. That's like it's four like times, times oh, the area. It is, yeah, you're yeah. right. It's like, it's like 16 squares instead of four. Yes, yes. Because of circles. <laughs> and squares. And it's- squares. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. If you got the extra 100 credits, just get the anti-vehicle rocket. My God, like, it even weighs the same. It's so funny. It's not really, it's just a rocket. Yeah, that's just a rocket, baby. (laughs) They should have called the first one shitty rocket and the second one actual rocket you want to (laughs) use. And you got your flash rocket. Upon detonation, a flash rocket emits a tense light that causes temporary blindness. Anyone within the three square burst radius, whoa, whose reflex defense is beaten by the attack roll is blinded for one D four rounds. That's awesome. This is fucking sick. It's probably about the same. Like, it's probably not much different than the than the flash grenade. Honestly, I don't have it up right now, but it's probably similar. But three square burst is huge. It's the same. Oh, it's it's, it's the same as the oh, flash oh, grenade. Wait, 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 wait. Is it cheaper? Or more the expensive? flash grenade is three square burst. Mm hmm. But it's only one round. Oh, so this is potentially and better than the. It's, yeah, yeah, it can be better. What's the price of a flash grenade? 100 credits. OK, so this is four times the price for potentially four times the use. Wow, it's balanced. It's not something you can say very often in the system. <laughs> <laughs> the Swissy system? The Swissy's not a system. It's a game <laughs> <laughs> now uh, join me over here sam for the hollow tip rocket and its subtypes <laughs> maybe take me out to dinner first you pervert <laughs> trying to show me your hollow tip rocket jesus man 
The hollow tip rocket is used as a means of exposing the target to a drug or chemical stored inside its specialized tip. The most common compounds contained in the hollow tip rocket are nerve gas and stun gas. Psst, by the way, I'm going to read the empty hollow tip rocket description first and then the nerve toxin and gas. You can totally stuff anything in here, though. It doesn't say that, but like here's your acid rocket and like your radiation rocket. Just copy the hazard and put them in here. That's all you got to do. That's all it takes. Oh, fuck. Glitter rocket. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we have a goldfish cracker rocket last week? Yeah, too? goldfish cracker rocket. <laughs> An empty hollow tip rocket is just that. Empty. It's more akin to a bullet than a rocket, and it's treated as a slug thrower weapon for the purposes of feats and talents. Hey, kind of a nice off the beaten path uh, slug thrower option for those who appreciate that sort of thing. Oh, no. Oh, you know that cool gun you had? What if it was embedded in your fucking wrist? Wouldn't that be cooler? Idiot. Yeah, no shit. It'd be better. <laughs> it costs 200 credits. Sam, you could sell anything. It costs 200 <laughs> credits. Deals 2d6 damage. And it's actually it's piercing damage and it's licensed availability. Well, so it's it's only licensed outside of the core worlds because like Kinder Eggs, they're banned in the core worlds. <laughs> Yeah, it really fell apart when they try to put toys inside of them and kids start <laughs> poking their eyes out. <laughs> Nerf toxin, hollow tip rocket. If its attack exceeds the target's reflex defense, allow a secondary attack against the target's fortitude defense. If the second attack succeeds, the nerve agent is injected into the target's body and moves the target down two steps on the condition track. Costs 600 credits, deals 2d6 damage. Don't forget that condition track, though. Double condition track movement. Not many weapons can do that. Piercing damage. Illegal, by the way. Makes That's sense. That's fucking cool as hell, though. Yes, very cool. Do you roll a second attack, or you just compare your first roll to the fortitude? I, it's probably the latter. Sounds like it's the latter. Gotta be. The, the like grammar in this particular item is super wacky. Because if it was, if it was compare the result to both, it would say that, you know? Yeah, but it doesn't say that. Uh, I'll, I'll read directly from the book here. A nerve toxin hollow tip rocket, if its attack exceeds the reflex defense, allows a secondary attack against the target's fortitude defense. If the secondary attack succeeds, yada yada. I think it's a second attack. I think you roll again. Yeah, I think you roll again, which, I mean, could could benefit you. <laughs> 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 Stun gas hollow tip rocket sprays out gas upon impact, creating a cloud that fills the square. A stun gas hollow tip rocket has a burst radius of one square. Another instance where the flavor text appears to be in conflict with the actual stats of the weapon, but uh, up to you. It deals 3d8 damage and 3d6 stun damage, and it costs. Wait, wait, wait! Credits. It deals both. Yes, both. That's both crazy. damage types are listed here. Yeah, it's like the first time I've seen that, I think. It's uh, restricted. And then finally, the ion blast rocket. An ion blast rocket emits an ionizing wave of energy in all directions upon impact that affects electronic devices, including droids and cybernetic systems. An ion blast rocket has a burst radius of two squares, deals 3d6 ion damage, and it's restricted. 400 credits for this bad boy. Wow, Steven. That's that, I'm glad we covered these wrist rockets because holy shit. I thought it was just going to be like, the damage type is different. I didn't think it was going to be like, hey, this one fucks you up. <laughs> yeah, like, hey, this one drops you two steps on the condition track. And also, it's not clear how it works in the game. 
I love burst weapons, Steven. Me too. They're fun. I'm trying to remember what was the was the wrist rocket a exotic range weapon? Is that what it was? It was. I actually wanted to mention that too. It's uh kind of kind of oh the garrote was also an exotic weapon from last week, which I don't really agree with, but probably balances it for being so good at what it does. Yeah. Even though it's just a, a string you strangle someone it's with? It's described as just steel wire, and somehow that's not a simple weapon? I, 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 I might rule that one different. But it does make it like an insta-buy for everyone then at that point. So, you know, yeah. who knows? I like the idea. Well, I guess the idea is being trained to use it effectively. Does that make sense? I think so. Because I, I think if you, if you gave me a, a, a strip of metal cable like i don't know if i i could probably get someone but i don't think i could get them down in 30 seconds okay so you probably have like a minus five to your attack or something yeah yeah yeah. that makes sense yeah okay yeah okay now that you put it like that (laughs) yeah you did and the wrist rocket makes sense as an exotic weapon because I mean, like, look at it. It's it's a it's a wrist mounted rocket launcher. That's about as I exotic usually as it aim gets. gun like this. Yeah. I don't <laughs> usually aim gun like I'm fucking Superman or whatever. Which does narrow who can use it pretty well. I think I think gladiators can get a talent that gives them proficiency in all exotic weapons. Which that alone is pretty cool, and that that might be a good choice. But also Dude, the fucking the gladiator who's like garrote one hand, <laughs> wrist launcher in the other hand. Dude, fucking shoots out the stun one, blinds you, comes up behind you, just fucking takes you out. Oh fuck! <laughs> There's our next build showcase. There you go. <laughs> well, Stephen, thank you so much for covering the Clone Wars with me. Of course. I enjoyed it very much so. Yeah, maybe we'll come, we'll circle back to the Clone Wars. Maybe we'll explore a different era. I'm kind of in the mood to touch on, like, some homebrew stuff again. Maybe another homebrew adventure. There we go. That'd be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, before that, let's send you guys off into the break. Rock on. Hey, Sam. Oh, hey, hey, Steven. I was going to do something a little different for for a normal break uh, this time. Many of you have probably heard already, uh, Owen Casey Stevens, he's a veteran RPG designer with a long career going all the way back the past 20 plus years. He's made massive contributions in countless D20 systems, including most of the Swissy books, D&D, Pathfinder, D20 Modern, and beyond. Uh, He's actually currently the design lead for Starfinder. He suffered a pulmonary embolism in February, and he has since been diagnosed with stage 2 cancer. There's going to be a Reddit post in the description below that that goes into a lot more detail about what's going on and who he is and how you can help him. Uh, I'm personally a big fan of him and his work. He has a great YouTube channel where he does like stories and he's actually the progenitor of one of the more famous like Swissy stories out there in popular lore when he was running Swissy for this old British couple and they yes, had an amazing yes. time. It is his story. I found Stories, that out the other day. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing, amazing story. And I think Rodney may have even told retold part of it when we interviewed him. Um, it's just that good. <laughs> the Reddit has lots of ways to support him. His preferred way is he, there's two $35 PDF bundles that have a bunch of RPG supplements across many systems, including a lot of stuff that's system agnostic. Uh, I've bought his bundles before 52 and 52 is a really good one where he sends you a new supplement every week out of the year and you end up with 52 supplements. It's, it's really cool. That $35 PDF bundle that he's offering for fundraising for his medical bills is a $700 value. I'm going to buy it. Sam's going to buy it. It looks really, really, really cool. And on top of this, we wanted, we're, we want to let you know 
all Patreon contributions for the month of May are going to go straight to Owen. Um, and we'll we'll have full transparency. You'll see the invoices. You'll see the receipts. You'll see everything so that you know where that money's going. And I am also going to personally match those Patreon contributions to Owen dollar for dollar out of my pocket. So whether you buy the bundle or whether you are on our Patreon or maybe you want to get on our Patreon month of May, all of our Patreon income is will be going straight to Owen's medical bills. I pledge full transparency and I will match dollar for dollar, whatever comes our way for Owen. So if a $35 PDF bundle, which you definitely should get, yeah, might yes. be a little bit out of your budget right now, then feel free to hop on the Patreon, get all our cool stuff for that low, low cost of five or $10. And then Stephen will so generously uh, match your donation. Yeah. Um, we've all seen the magic that can happen when gaming communities come together to support one of our own. I personally think the tabletop scene is probably one of the oldest indie scenes to exist. And this sort of showing support and coming to support when major figureheads in the scene, I, and I'm sure he would hate to be called that, <laughs> but you, like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's just factual, man. You've contributed so much of your career to this scene that it just would not be the same without you. And so, you know, my $35, my $5, my $10, whatever it is, is our thanks to you. And, you know, it's what it's all about. It's what tabletop gaming is all about, is being together with like-minded individuals and having this own little cool thing you guys do together once a week. And uh, it wouldn't be possible without Owen. That was incredibly well said, Sam. Absolutely. Thank you. I can say words nice sometimes. <laughs> There's not many people who have done more for RPG gaming in the past two decades than Owen. Uh, he is truly a, a kind soul and a very humble one at that. Uh, and he deserves our help. So uh, we're, we're rallying the troops to, to go and, and help him out. And whatever way you decide to help Owen, I sincerely hope that you do. Uh, and, and thanks for listening. Uh, thank you so much for listening, you guys. I hope you didn't skip this break like you do the other ones. <laughs> Let's send you guys back to the show. Steven. Oh, sorry. Let me turn off my repulsor lift there. That got a little close to the mic. <laughs> Steven. Yeah, you guys might not know it, but Steven records this whole episode, this whole podcast, even in one of those floating chairs. Yeah, I got one Senate. of those Yoda chairs. <laughs> it was on sale. After they sacked the Jedi Temple, they like went crazy low on the Holo liquidation Amazon. sale. Yeah, they were like they were like eighty percent off for all of Yoda's just old chairs. Fucking, just clone troopers carrying out like stacks of chairs from <laughs> the new just order surplus store. Of, yeah, exactly. Just like a big pile of fucking meditation pillows. <laughs> Come on down to Palpy's new order surplus store. <laughs> Palpy's Imperial Surplus for all your <laughs> sitting, standing, and lightsabering needs. <laughs> they got Mace Windu's lightsaber for like 20 <laughs> credits. <laughs> oh, I've been looking for something to churn my head is worth. <laughs> <laughs> they got one of those like wacky, flatable, flailing arm guys, but it's like a gun. Yeah. <laughs> his ears instead yeah. of his hand. <laughs> I like the idea of them just stripping like just it's just like <laughs> just stripping down the the Ada 2 Starfighters for yeah. parts. 
<laughs> just scrapping them. <laughs> Perfectly good. <laughs> that was a whole Bad Batch episode, wasn't it? Um, I think that's the premise. Yes, that. And also you see one in Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, the intro to yeah. Fallen Order, which I will never forget. Extremely so strong. Cool. Opening. So oh, cool. shit. That game comes Jedi Survivors out in like two days. Yeah, it is. Isn't that crazy? $70, though. That's that's the battle I've been fighting for <laughs> pretty much uh, since that was announced. Sorry, one more joke for the uh, Imperial Surplus store. Yeah. Just collection of Padawan rat tails. <laughs> <laughs> they got them on one of those like keychain like displays. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was thinking like a bead curtain made of them. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> They're all still a little singed. <laughs> that's so oh, that's bad. good. That's funny. It's very funny. Perfect for episode 66. <laughs> I don't know what took us here, but we have a build. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but there's a build. <laughs> I don't know how we got to this point, but it was really funny. And I'm glad we did. But Lil Literal sent us uh, a Zayson Shaw Inquisitor named oh. Elise Lamina. Very excited. Or Lamina, maybe? I don't know. Good name. Lamina. Regardless. Yeah, it's a good name. Elise Lamina, CL 16, medium human Jedi three, soldier six, scout one, force adept three and force disciple three. And I've got some notes here from little literals himself. <coughs> this is how the build was in actual play. I made it with a mind towards not being optimized since I thought it would be a bad look if the PC of the main admin in his living force server was an unstoppable machine. Good, good instinct. <laughs> yeah, no overpowered DMPCs, right? Thus, this build is kind of a triple threat. Disc blade, light whip, and force powers. And then a little bit of ally boosting thrown in there as well. Steps on soapbox. This kind of build is an example of what I was talking about in my Dark Times user submitted Don't Build OP segment. I don't remember what episode that is. If you know, please put it in the comments. Uh, it was made for a living world server in which there would be a constant influx of newer players many of whom who are new to the system, to the system. In the interest of keeping things fun, a conscious decision was made to keep the power level down for the server. This build can do a number of things decently well without trivializing other PCs. Stacks another soapbox on top of the first soapbox. So funny. Over the months since I've stepped down, the power level has shot up dramatically to the point that this is no longer a viable character. Well, it's probably a fun character regardless. That's what matters. Though, I'm excited. I, I hear disc blade and light whip, and I'm really excited. <laughs> Steve, let's talk about the disc blade staples. Okay. For those who have forgotten, how could you, first of all, uh, the disc blade is the signature ranged weapon of the Force-sensitive Zason Shaw. They're not on good terms with the Jedi, so they use cool chakram-like weapons they can manipulate with the Force, and Elise is no exception. Disc blade arc, distant disc blade throw, recall disc blade talents, as well as the homebrew yet humble disc blade mastery talent, means that Elise treats the disc blade as a simple weapon and throw it with the range of a pistol, and can make an area attack as a full round action against three separate targets within point blank range. That's 20 squares. And even afterwards, use a free action to recall the weapon to her hand. Attuned weapon and empower weapon are the bread to the butter of this disc blade build, granting the attuned and empowered weapon a plus one bonus on attack rolls and an additional die of damage, bringing Elisa's disc blade up to 3d8 base damage. Delicious. And don't forget, Steven, this is not a one-trick tauntaun here. Elise is a practice force user, having both the Rising Panic talent from the Blazing Chain talent tree and Victorious Force Mastery from the Bandogora Captain talent tree. 
Rising Panic means you start a Rising Panic in an enemy who observes your attack and actions, inhibiting the enemy's ability to respond once per round as a reaction to an enemy damaging one of your allies or moving one of your allies down the condition track. You can make a use the force check against the target's will defense. If the check equals or exceeds the target's will defense, you move the target minus one step down the condition track. So cool. An enemy moved to the bottom of the condition track by this talent does not fall unconscious, but instead must spend its actions fleeing combat for one minute or until it moves up the condition track. And then victorious force mastery. Whenever an enemy you have damaged in this encounter is reduced to zero hit points, you may automatically return one spent force power to your force power suite as a free action. Oh, did I say force power suite? I meant force powers. Sweet. <laughs> this build, Steven, I shit you not. This build has 15 force powers. Oh, my God. We're talking force lightning, move object, mind trick, dark rage, enlightened fear. The classics, the greatest hits of the force users suite. Truly. I could spend an entire episode explaining each individual force power in this killer's repertoire, but that makes for awful, awful radio. Keep in mind, Victoria's Force Mastery says whenever an enemy you have damaged, meaning as long as Elise gets one HP off you, you're worth an entire force power to her. If one of her buddies blows you up with a grenade or a rocket or something cool like that. Ooh. Elise also carries some stun grenades just in case she wasn't enough of a terror and wields a light whip as well. I don't know if we've ever covered a light whip on the podcast before, so here goes. A light whip has a reach of two squares. When you hit a target with a light whip, it deals normal damage and you can initiate a grab or grapple against the target. A target that is grabbed or grappled can attempt to escape the light whip, requiring a DC 15 acrobatics check. You can use the pin and trip feats with light whip, but you cannot use the crush or throw feats. I think the throw feat would be cool, but that's, you know, it's whatever. Any character that ends its turn in a grab or grapple from a light whip takes damage equal to the weapon's base damage. You do not add your strike bonus, half your heroic level or any other modifiers to this damage. This item could use a build all its own, uh, but it's a cool piece of gear compared to the uh, helicopter sabers of Inquisitor's past. Lil Literal's had some final thoughts on his build, and I'll leave them with you, dear listener. He said, honestly, I don't feel like redoing the build, but if we're going to change some things up, I'd probably drop a few things to focus on others. Like looking into Sith Apprentice and Sith Lord, which wasn't allowed on the server if you had another Force tradition, though I believe it is now. Decreasing the focus on offensive powers and focusing more on the disc blade. Perhaps grab Trip for the light whip. Steven, what do you think about this incredible triple threat build? This is so cool. I love a jack of all trades. I love a build with good breadth to it. This feels like a build and I sound silly given the context, but this feels like a build that someone would actually build and play like at a table. Like this is not a you forum You can see build. the different levels where this build would take shape. Exactly. It's not a power gamers build by any means. It's real. It's grounded. It's honest. It's also, I want to point out, this is a build you can't get in any other system. This is a very swissy build. This build, oh, absolutely. Would, this build would feel like nothing else. And so cool. Combining the light whip with the disc blade. Genius. I love it. You know, my favorite part about this build is, Steven. What? You could bring this to a Dark Times campaign as like a, a big bad. Yes. And every encounter, there would be a different way to like, oh, my God, you wouldn't even see the fucking disc blade till the final act. <sighs> Wouldn't that the be right? The final act displayed. That's so badass. Like you, you finally pushed her to the point where she has to use her fucking displayed against you. That's so cool. I love it. Great build. Thank you so much, Lilithros, for sending in the lovely Elise Lamina. I think it's Fleece Laminate. Fleece Laminate. Oh, yeah. The lovely Elise Lamina. Zayson Shah Inquisitor. The rest of the build's going to be in the description, obviously, as well as the other things we talked about this week. Steven, do you have any trivia for us this week? George Lucas was so sure that A New Hope would flop 
that instead of attending the premiere, he went to Hawaii on vacation with his good friend, little known indie film director, Steven Spielberg, where they came up with the idea for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Bro, this in a blunt. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. All right. Fucking. Are you going to go see your movie that you spent the last? I don't know how long A New Hope took to make, but if I slaved over that shit for like a year and a half and then Steven fucking Spielberg was like, hey, you want to go to Hawaii and we'll do some weed and we'll write something because, <laughs> you know, fucking Raiders. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. That's a yes. I would go with Steven Spielberg right now. If he was like, you want to go to Hawaii with me? I'd be like, yeah. Oh. I mean, there's a lot of implications on. Hawaii as a tourist destination that I don't want to go over on this podcast, but yes, I'll go with you, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Fantastic. If you had me choose between the two Stevens in my life, Spielberg or Zenith sloth, um, let's just say the dark times podcast would be a lot darker. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking funny. And I wouldn't blame you one bit. <laughs> yeah. Choose Steve. I need you to choose right now between me and Sam Whitworth. Go. Uh, 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 Sam Whitworth. That's fair. <laughs> but then I'd know, I, cause then I could interview him, but then I have no one to edit the podcast. So it's kind of a catch oh, 22. No. I have no one to edit the podcast. Oh no, I'm Steven. I can't edit my podcast. Do you think Sam Whitworth and Steven Spielberg would start a podcast together? Yeah, I, I hope they would. It'd be called the darker times. <laughs> the best times. The best podcast. times. Speaking of. The Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast, is produced today by me, Sam. Steve is my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE and email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your show. If you join the Patreon, all proceeds for the month of May are going to go towards Owen Casey Stevens' uh, medical bills, as well as Steven is going to match every donation. And also check out the Reddit link in the description for any of... For Owen's other bundles, including $700 worth of PDFs for a whopping $35 value, all going to support his medical bills. Thank you so much for listening to the Dark Times podcast. Steven, do you have a a quote for us this week? Wonderful girl. Either I'm going to kill her or I'm beginning to like her. That's Han, right? Yeah. Don't forget that in the first movie, Han is a stone cold gangster who kills Greedo and threatens to kill Leia. Yeah. And then Luke's like, well, she's rich. Yeah. But she's but she's rich. But there's a reward. She's rich. He's like, rich, huh? Okay, whatever. <laughs> Great movie. And then and then like fucking five minutes later, everything's fine. We're we're fine. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> fucking legendary scene. That's the Swissy right there. That's Swissy to me. Good night, everybody! Good night!